Hello and welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Fellowship of the Ring, one minute at a time. I'm Norman Mitchell. <laughs> and I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And today we're going to be talking about Minute 55, which starts with the Black Riders, like full stop, you get a good look at them, and ends with Mary on the ground out of breath saying, what was that? Indeed. And and then after we're done talking about this minute, I'm going to talk about Tom Bombadil for a little bit. <laughs> We'll try and keep it reasonable. Yes. <laughs> so if you're, if you want to stick around after we're done talking about the stick minute, stick around. <laughs> I'm going to talk about Tom Bombadil for a bit, but this minute establishes a couple of things that are kind of hinted at, and then kind of comes into the forefront here, which is that the Black Riders are one terribly unnatural because nature flees from them. That's what you're supposed to get from like the bugs leaving. Oh, I always thought that he's like a creature of darkness. So, so he's summoning he the bugs up. The bugs. They're trying, but the bugs are trying to get away from him. That makes sense. I guess I don't know. Either interpretation. Yeah, either interpretation works. But I, I guess the feel you're supposed to get is that he's unnatural, so the natural world like flees in his presence. What about his horse, though? I guess it's I mean, corrupted. It's all corrupted and tortured. It's got a nail through its hoof. Does it? Yeah. When you see its hoof through the crack in the log, yeah. there's a nail through its hoof. Oh, I thought that was just a crack in the hoof. No, there's like a nail through it and there's like blood around it. Poor horse. I mean, you're supposed to nail in a horseshoe from yeah, the underside. But it's not like that. There's like a nail driven directly into the hoof. Uh, one of the one of the production crew guys mentions that when he talks about how there was a specific animal makeup person. Yeah. And that person's name is Mark Kennison Smith. Oh. And he's responsible for all the animal makeup? He's responsible for the animal makeup, or and at, if not all of it personally, the crew that also did the yeah, animal makeup. Yeah, he's like the head of the animal makeup department. Yeah, he's the animal makeup guy. You never really think about animal makeup, but I guess you do need, especially for the horse, because the horse, like, the like horse Like, he makes its hair look all scraggly. Red eyes and... Yeah. I mean, they probably digitally That's touched digitally, I'm up. sure. Oh, yeah, it does have a nail. I've. That's sad. There's like three or two of them sticking out in yeah. there. And it's just to add to like the creepiness and like the, the sad, corrupted nature of this yeah. animal. That's so sad. I love horses. So he had, he had to make these horses look like a little too thin and like malnourished yeah. and make them look all scraggly and ragged. I'm sure the horses loved having their fur all messed up. Oh, poor baby. I hope they got plenty of oats and carrots and lots of oh, grooming afterward. I'm sure they did. <laughs> I'm sure they did. You got to take care of your animal. Yeah. I've never noticed the nails before. Yeah. I, I've always noticed the blood. Yeah. Um, But I, I just assumed that it was like a trick of the light or a crack in their hooves or something. Nope. Interesting. A nail just driven right into the front of the hoof. And not even the... it The, it, the head of the nail isn't the part that's sticking out. It's the pointy bit. Oh, yeah, which means that it's a nail driven up through, but it's far too long and crooked. Oh, God. Like it's holding the horseshoe on, but it's yeah. a long, crooked nail. So it just comes out the top of the hoof. Man, that's horrifying. Yeah. That's, like, deeply unsettling. Yeah. That adds a whole other layer to... The ring wraiths, I think. Right, and these horses are supposed to be, like, stolen from Rohan or bought in secret. That's so sad. Yeah. 
those poor horses. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna cry. Like, that could be Shadow Fax's cousin. No! That's so sad. Don't make me cry on the air. <laughs> Don't make me cry on Mike. I love horses. I know. You haven't seen War Horse, but there's this scene in that movie, and I can't bring myself to watch that movie again, even though it's really good. Because horses and barbed wire have no business mixing. Mm. Especially in front of my eyeballs. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. I was that weird horse girl. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, we also get the first time that Frodo is, like, tempted to put the ring on. Yeah, because the ring wraith is sniffing. Yeah, he's, he's like a bloodhound. <laughs> Why are you literally sniffing? It's <laughs> my impression of the ring wraith in this scene. Well, it's not even like normal sniffing, like a dog sniffing. It's really big, deep inhales. Yeah. And it's kind of scary. Like, it's also unnerving. Like underneath the hood, there is just a giant nose. A big nose, yeah. <laughs> just like one big nose. Isn't there... No face, just a big nose. Oh, what, I, what am I thinking of? The That munchkin monster. That's just the giant nose. Yeah. Yeah. Which can be killed with the, the card halitosis. Yes. Because then you can't smell anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also think halflings are immune to it. I don't remember. I don't remember either. They have, I know halflings have like a, that big <laughs> stinky cheese. The anchovy and Limburger sandwich. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Munchkin's Munchkin. a weird game. I love Munchkin. <laughs> yeah. Me too. But yeah, the, the ring wraith is sniffing like a, like a bloodhound on the hunt. Yeah. And then Frodo gets all tempted by the ring and he makes that really dumb face. It's the stupidest face. I mean, there's a lot of stupid faces in this movie, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Especially when you're freeze framing in between yeah. minutes. He's just got this, like, it looks like he's constipated. Yeah. Or that, like, he might be about to, like, throw up. Yeah. It's just like. But it looks like he's, it obviously, it looks like he's faking, like not acting. It's yeah, just like it, this really silly, dumb face. It like pulls you right out of what's going on. You're just like, really? <laughs> Did they film, this wasn't part of the first day of filming, just the part on the road? I, don't, I think that this might have been as well. Okay. Because you can I believe tell this he, too. They, he looks very young. Yeah. Um, as opposed to like in the cornfield, he looks older. Older. Yeah. So you can kind of tell, you can also kind of tell just the difference in like pickups in some places because of that too. Yeah. Curious and curious. Which is interesting. I mean, when you're filming over a year and a half, some people are going to look yeah. different. Especially when your lead is 18. Yeah. He's still growing. growing yeah. yeah. And then a sacrifice is made to escape the black Well, rider. I like that Sam is the one to knock him out of it. Yeah. It's, That's true. It, it develops their relationship more. Especially as the... Well, Sam's the only one of the other three hobbits here that knows that the ring is bad. Yeah. And he's also sitting right next to him. Yeah. But it also... It it lays... This scene and the scene before it, the cornfield one, does a really good job of laying the groundwork groundwork for their relationship going forward. Yeah. Uh, because Sam Sam's ready to follow Frodo to the literal ends of the earth. Yeah. And he need, he's, he's willing to do whatever he needs to do to keep his friend... Slash crush. <laughs> don't you lose him, Samwise Gamble. Yeah. And I don't mean to. So he, I like that it's just the little things that I'm the most impressed with, I think, so far. Yeah. Um, like the nails sticking out of the horse and just the 
the gesture of Sam kind of roughly shaking him out of it. Yeah, he like clamps his arm on his, his yeah, hand on his, his arm and he's and, just like, yeah. hey, what are you, what are yeah, you doing over there? like, hey, chill out. Stop that. Put it away. And it's Mary that tosses the bag. Yeah. Yeah. Mary, Mary sacrifices the mushrooms. He throws them off into the distance. I always just thought it was just a generic bag, but I guess, yeah, it is the mushrooms. Yeah. And I'm thinking about like the, the, the black rider, like sniffing around. It's like, he goes and sees what it is. And he's just like, it's just mushrooms. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> I've been tricked. <laughs> Trixie hobbitses. <laughs> Blast. Foiled again. <laughs> Clenched fist at the air. <laughs> I like his arm. And then the horse starts eating the mushrooms. I think mushrooms are bad for horses. I have no idea. Then again, I don't know. Like one time, it's an was, evil horse. One time, I was riding a horse, and I was supposed to be balancing an egg on a spoon because reasons. And the egg fell, and, and the, the horse, horse was just like, "Oh, thanks." Yeah, the horse just started eating it. It was like, "Oh God!" I thought you were supposed to be vegetarian. He's not an ovo-lacto vegetarian. Ah, meat-eating horses. <laughs> There's something inherently creepy about that. Yeah, I feel like this horse eats meat. Eat eats meat. It's like, oh, a hobbit. Um. Oh my God. Um, I like, I like the ringwraith's armor. Yeah, it's really cool. I like how, um, I think that, that, uh, that effect is called tessellated, but I'm not a hundred percent sure if that's the word. Tessellated? Yeah. Like the, the over, the such overlapping that every point like that. Mm. It's very reminiscent of Sauron's armor. At the beginning. Is, which is definitely intentional. Yeah. It's it's very... It, it looks like scales, like dragon scales. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Which is also, uh, in part, probably like a tie-in to the fell beasts that they ride. Oh, true. The the winged ones? Yeah. Yeah. We don't see those yet, though. No, we don't. I don't think we see them until the third movie. Do we? I don't... They're not in this one. They're not in this one. They might be in the second one. I don't remember. It's been a really long time. I, yeah. You know, to be fair, I've been, like, injecting this movie into my veins for the past, you know, three two, months. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I don't... There is there, no there, two towers. There there's, only, the, there's only Zool. Like. There, there, yes. <laughs> there's only the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. For the next month. So months or so. Next six months or so. Yeah. Till whenever. Till it's over. Eight months. A long time. Yeah. But his armor is really cool. It doesn't have the really pretty filigree that Sauron's does. No, it doesn't. It's just like... It's just plated. It also looks like it's intentionally meant to look like dirty and rusty in places. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, what, thousands of years old? Presumably. And he's being, you know, held... Uh, he's a wraith. Like, he's held together by evil magic. Yeah. So... And then he dies, and he'll dissolve into a million little pieces, and his armor will hit the ground, just like the, the Witch King did. Which is a really cool effect. I've always loved that. Uh, boom. boom. Yeah. Well, I mean, Sauron. That happens yeah, right? to Sauron. I know. I, 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 it makes me really happy that we see that effect twice in this trilogy. Oh, the poof, and then the, the... Like, the little implosion, and then the helmet hits the ground. Yeah. Well, it's all the same magic. Yeah. Because... It's the ring that's keeping these guys alive, which is why they're so yeah. uh, in tune with it. Yeah. And something that I hadn't realized, but I guess is touched upon in some of the other material, mm -hmm. is part of the re part of the reason that, like, the elves are, like, sad and, like, so somber is that 
their rings of power are what's keeping their realms safe and together. That makes sense. And when the one ring is destroyed, all 20 other rings cease existing. Oh, so then they have to leave. Yeah. If they want to maintain their when they when they destroy the ring of power <laughs> when they destroy the one ring it destroys all the rings of power that are connected to it. Interesting. Even though the the elven rings were made they're separately? Yeah, but they're still connected because they're made according to a method that that guy was shown by Sauron anyway. Oh. Okay. He just made them without Sauron knowing. Uh-huh. Everyone's stealing in secrets. Yes. And then to get the other to get the other rings other than uh Narya, Vilya, and Nenya. Yes. Uh he took that guy prisoner and was just like, What'd you do with the other rings? and tortured him until he told him. That sucks. But he never told him what he did with the other three. Huh. So Sauron has no idea who has those. Yeah. I mean, because I'm sure if he, he did, has a guess yeah. because um, the world is decaying, but, but here you have Rivendell and yeah. Lothlorien. Yeah. And I mean, Mirkwood, I think he targets Mirkwood because he doesn't have a ring. Yeah. Thranduil doesn't have a ring. Yeah. Thranduil with a ring would be really scary. Probably. He's an angry elf dad. Yeah. Huh. But, you know, he's not a high elf, so screw him. That's true. I mean, if if he knew where the rings, those other rings were, he would have hunted down Gandalf years ago. Yeah, I don't think anyone knows that Gandalf has the Nobody power. knows Gandalf has it. Not even uh, Elrond and Galadriel, I don't think. I thought Galadriel gives it to him? No. Oh, he just um, gets it? What's his name? Uh, Kurdan, the Greyhaven's elf. Uh-huh. He's the one that originally had it, and, right, he, right, right, right. and he gave it to Gandalf as soon as Gandalf stepped off the boat in the Middle Earth. He's like, hey, you might need this. <laughs> You seem cool. It's I got a gift for you. It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. <laughs> yeah. And Saruman was just like, I didn't get anything. <laughs> well, he doesn't know he has yeah. that either. I know. I'm making a joke. Otherwise, he wouldn't have flown Gandalf up into his wizard fight tower. He would have cut his hand off and taken the ring. Yeah, because that's the smart thing to do. <laughs> hey, give me that. <laughs> yes. Then he would have been even more under Sauron's power. Yeah. I think that about exhausts yeah, that, this that, minute. Yeah, that's so. So, let's, presumably, let's talk about our favorite absent character, absent friend. Our favorite absent friend. Tom Bombadil is a friend to all, and all is a friend to Tom Bombadil, except Old Man Willow. Except Old Man Willow. Because f that guy. Well, Old Man Willow is old and angry. Okay, so. For those of you who are listening that do not know, though, well, I mean, there are fans of the movie that I probably haven't read the book. Haven't read the book. Yeah, I'm sure there are probably a fairly large number. The book is somewhat if, daunting. If you are listening to this and you've never read the book, I would be interested to have a conversation with you. Yes, I would be. I would be interested in your perspective on some things. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you saw and if you have read the books, but you read them after you saw the movie. I'm interested in that perspective too. Mm. Because that's going to color a lot of things. Yeah. Like uh, this, the scene with the Black Rider is so, not in this book. Right. So if you haven't read the books, if you're out there, there's some spoilers here for things that have no bearing whatsoever on the plot of Lord of the Rings, but is something that happens fairly early in the story. Yeah. Before they leave the Shire. Before they leave the Shire, when they're on the very edge of the Shire. Mm-hmm. Tom Bombadil, as he's presented in the book, 
is a strange man with magical powers that lives in the old forest. Just inexplicably. He just shows up. He sings a song. He saves the Hobbit. Like this tree. um, It's kind of like the trees in Wizard of Oz. It's also um, the scene with Old Man Willow is specifically echoed in a scene that was deleted and put back in the extended edition of Two Towers. When the tree is fighting with Merry and Pippin in Fangorn. That's supposed to be like an echo back to Old Man Willow. For like fans of Tom Bombadil that were like, oh, why isn't Tom Bombadil here? Yeah. Well, we still kind of get the old man Willow scene. But it's Fangorn. Right. And then it's Treebeard himself who comes by and is just like, sleep, friend. You need to go back to sleep. Okay, yeah. Which is essentially the same thing Tom Bombadil does. Yeah. So that scene is really like Tom Bombadil. They just took old man Willow and put it there. Okay, that's cool. Um, Because I remember when I first read these books, Tom Bombadil was really my favorite part of this one because it just took forever to get through it and i was just like oh okay well this is a crazy guy i'm interested in what he does and like who he is and he's a lot of fun uh but in the book uh when mary and pippin and frodo are finally and sam are finally on their way to go to rivendell and they're all aware that they're all aware that frodo has the ring correct by this point yeah yeah um in the book they all know yeah so they're you know traipsing across the shire and they 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 camp in the old forest and their fire uh kind of angers this old tree spirit and uh called old man willow and so mary and pippin and sam no, it's just Mary and Mary and Pippin. Pippin get swallowed up by the roots of yeah, Old Yeah, Mary and Pippin get eaten by this tree, and Frodo and Sam lose their mind, and they're screaming for help, and then all of a sudden, this jovial old guy in terrible yes. in a terrible outfit just shows up, and he's singing, and then he's like, well, this he's is a, weird. He's got a feather in his hat, and he describes himself as, uh, he, he names himself Tom Bombadil, and says, blue is his jacket, and his and his boots are yellow. Oh, Tom Bombadil, Tom Bombadil. <laughs> he speaks exclusively in song for a while. Yeah, he's and, he, and even when he speaks, he speaks mostly in rhyme. Yeah. And he rescues the hobbits. He takes them to his cottage in the woods. And he has a really beautiful wife who feeds them and serenades them. Who and, he calls Daughter of the River. Yeah, her name is Goldberry. And he basically, you know keeps the hobbits for a few days and lets them rest and they eat and they drink and they hang out with tom and he tells them stories about all kinds of things Mm -hmm. and one of the things he says about himself is that he was there before the first raindrop and the first acorn in the forest no that's not what he means he was there before the starlight before melkor came into the world a second time he says that in essentially a metaphor before the darkness came again when there was no fear in the night Huh. He claims he's from the first age. Oh, okay. But in a way that the hobbits have no real way of understanding. Right. And his elven name is Yarwain, I hope I say that right, <laughs> uh, Benadar, which means eldest and fatherless. So he's literally a god? Maybe. You, we We are never... In any terms, explicit or implicit, told what Tom Bombadil is. I thought... He just is. And when Frodo asks Goldberry who Tom Bombadil is or what Tom Bombadil is, her answer is, huh, he is. 
which some people take as an echo to um, I am that I am from yeah. the Bible, yeah. which Tolkien is just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Bombadil's not God. He's Jesus. <laughs> He's elf Jesus. Maybe. <laughs> There's a, there, there's a lot of theories supported by a lot of different things, some of which are, like, really, like, out there extrapolations based on stuff from the Silmarillion and, like, the creation song. Yeah. And some stuff that seems to have a little more grounding, and then some stuff that's, like, really meta. Yeah. Like, one of the, one of the common ideas is that Tom Bombadil and Goldberry are, like, unique spirits, and they're supposed to represent, like, Father Time and Mother Nature, because... She changes with the seasons, but when she changes, the seasons change around her. How does she change? She doesn't age. Right. But, like, she changes clothes and color and form, and then the seasons change around her. Right. Because they come across Tom in the fall, so she is golden. She's wearing, like, a... Isn't she wearing a yellow dress? Well, she's in, like, her summer clothes, and then when they arrive, the day after they arrive is, like, the first full day of fall, and it's rainy and gloomy, and... Goldberry is out for the day. And when they ask about it, Bombadil basically says, oh, well, she's changing. <laughs> They're like, okay, I'm going to yeah. eat more food. <laughs> yeah, basically. eat more. Eat, we're going to eat more food and you're going to tell us about badger people. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like the, the Tom Bombadil chapter. And like the the half chapter before and the the entire chapter after is really the last children's story element in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So it it its purpose seems to be to ease you in to a lot of these bigger things that are about to happen. To like bridge the gap. To like bridge the gap because we meet old man Willow and then we're told about all these ancient things in the forest and Tom Bombadil his his stories are like skipped over through just being like, and he told them all these stories of this and this and this and this, right. and, this. and like he tells them stories about like the Dark Lord and all this stuff and Badger people, which comes up like <laughs> twice. Hey man, Badger people, Badger folk. Where are these Badger folk? Where were they in Avatar: The Last Airbender? I guess. <laughs> sure. A badger man. Badger moles. Yeah, badger moles. There's a secret tunnel through the mountain. So, like, within the Old Forest, which also is the last remnant of the oldest still existing part of Middle-earth. Yeah. Tom Bombadil claims he's been there forever. And within the bounds of the Old Forest and a little ways onto the Barrow Downs, which is a burial ground for where the first wars with Melkor between men and elves and Melkor happened... It's a burial ground from, the like, the middle of the First Age. Yeah. In that realm, Bombadil has, like, complete and total power. Yeah, because he says he's, like, master of yeah, all, basically. he is master. But... Which Goldberry also refers to him as master. Whatever. I'm not going to kink shame them in their own yeah. house. <laughs> I mean... Like, he can, he can tell the trees what to do. He can tell the river to stop. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah, because, I mean, he... he displays some of that power by telling the tree to go to sleep yeah through song all of his spells are worked through singing yeah which which is kind of reminiscent of the creation myth too because right. all of the everything comes into being through song right right yeah which leads to 
one of the more popular and probably more likely theories about Tom Bombadil is that he is a Maiar, like Gandalf or Saruman or Sauron, but that he wasn't like just a normal servant Maiar like a lot of them were, mm -hmm. that he was one of the Maiar that participated in the Song of Creation. Which is why he can, like, control the land and the trees and the wind. That's cool. Because he knows how to create the earth itself. Yeah, because he was there. It's ostensibly. Cause, yeah, because ostensibly he was there. Does that mean he created his wife? Uh, That's weird. She's also, like, a, like, only ever referred to as like a river spirit. Yeah. So her origins themselves are also really vague. They're they're not explained. Yeah. Um, and neither is Tom Bombadil because in in Tolkien's estimation, every fantasy story needs some unexplained portion because it's a fantasy story. There should always still be a mystery. That's so. It helps lend to the world being bigger than it is. That's than such you a write. cop out, though. Yeah. <laughs> it should always be like an I enigma. I don't like metaphor, and I don't like allegory, and I'm gonna make up this cool self-insert OC, and he's not gonna have any explanation whatsoever because I am awesome, and I made 500 languages. Yes. <laughs> Tolkien, probably. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> So Tolkien never explained Bombadil. And, what a bastard. <laughs> and there, there's some other theories that have to do with him. Like, like one of the meta theories is that he's supposed to be like an insert for the reader because he can make like the ring appear and disappear. And yeah, so can has, you by closing the book. He has no power or the ring has no power over him. Yeah. Like Frodo hands him the ring and then he's like, oh, that's weird. Juggles it and then gives it back. And makes it disappear. Yeah. And Frodo freaks out and he just hands it back to him. <laughs> it's behind your ear. <laughs> right. Like, oh. And he can see Frodo when he puts the ring on. Yeah. Which is the only thing we see in these stories anywhere other than a ring wraith that can do that. Yeah. It's just like, oh, hey. What are you doing over there? Maybe it's You because... should take that off. Your hand is prettier without it. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe it's because if he is a like a creator of some kind, he has one foot in the physical and one foot in the spiritual realm. Yeah. Because like the ring makes you like the ring wraiths are spiritual evil beings yeah. that exist on this plane. And yeah. when Frodo puts the ring on, he's super, super in tune with them yeah and vice versa yeah because what the theory about bombadil being a Maiar is that if he is a Maiar, then he is not clad in a lesser form like gandalf mm -hmm. he's like sauron he's just he just is he just is there he's just in his full Maiar form so he can take whatever form he wants why isn't he like eight feet tall he doesn't want to be okay why does he wear he likes his blue outfit? jacket and his yellow boots <laughs> And apparently he goes and has dinner with Farmer Raggett's family every so often. I didn't which know Which is that. weird. It's it's from like one of the one of the Tom Bombadil poems. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, we I have never read the uh what is it, The Adventures of Tom Bombadil? Yeah, which is not uh like a, a book that's just about Tom Bombadil. It's supposed to be a collection of uh Hobbit poems. Oh cool. And there's like two or three of them that are about Tom Bombadil. That's cool. Yeah. So why in your opinion do you think Tom Bombadil is super important to the story and why are you mad that it got cut? <laughs> so Tom Bombadil to me is really important to the story because, and I understand why it doesn't really work that well in film, but what it does in the book is establish how big this world can get 
by showing you something with seemingly limitless power. Yeah. And it's another reminder of, like, Bombadil, to me, is kind of a reminder of, like, the good things about the world itself. Like, the good parts of nature and, like, what it can do for you and, like, treating the world well and the, the world will treat you well in return. Yeah. And I, I think that he holds a lot of importance in setting up things that we're going to see. Also, Frodo has, like, two prophetic dreams while he's sleeping in Tom Bombadil's house. Yeah, but I... I mean, I don't personally care for prophetic dreams in fiction anyway. Because, yeah. like, Frodo dreams about Gandalf's death. Like, he, like, dreams about, like, Gandalf falling or, like, losing Gandalf in some way. Mm -hmm. And then he also dreams about himself passing into the West. Hmm. That's, like, the way that those dreams are kind of interpreted. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's interesting that he would have prophetic dreams in, like, the house of the sky. Yeah. And... Tom Bombadil is also the one in the books who gives them their swords. And while it's not necessarily important that Tom Bombadil is the one who gives them their swords, that section of the book is important because those swords can injure ringwraiths for a very particular reason. They're swords from the treasure trove of the white that took them prisoner on the Barrow Downs. Yeah. Which is a leftover from the First Age and the Men of Westerness and all of that. So those, those swords were specifically forged in order to fight the spiritual threats that Sauron can create. I don't remember because it's been a while since I've read that part of the book, but does he get them out of that one too? The barrow, yeah, he, the barrow downs? Yeah, because uh, when you go to the barrow, you find the treasure and like you're cursed to just try to dig through it and then you yeah. get consumed by a barrow or whatever. And Frodo, I think it's Frodo, in is struggling against like the curse of the barrow. And he manages to let out the rhyme that Tom Mamadil teaches them to summon him. Mm -hmm. And then he shows up at dawn and rips the barrow open and sunlight alone touching them. The barrow white just kills them. Yeah. Like trolls. Like trolls. Yeah. It doesn't turn them to stone. It disintegrates them. Yeah. They just become nothing. So he saved their ass twice. Twice. <laughs> he saved them twice. But I understand why Bombadil's not in, like, the movies. He's actually never been in a, a, like, film or performed adaptation of Lord of the Rings mm -hmm. other than the BBC, the first BBC radio drama adaptation. The one with, um... I think Norman Shelley is the voice of him. Oh, that's cool. The one with uh, Sir Ian? It's from 55. Oh, so no. <laughs> yeah. It's from 55, 56 is like when that one ran. Like right when the books came out, basically. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. It is cool. And like that's the only adaptation he's ever really like been in is the radio adaptation by the BBC. Yeah. He's never been in a performed one or like in an animated one. Right. I mean, he's been in a lot of the video games. He's an NPC in Lord of the Rings Online. Hmm. Because he's, you know, too powerful. Yeah. He's very beloved by yeah. the fan base. Yeah, because... I remember reading these and not, it was a real struggle for me to get through the first one, but I remember really latching on to Tom Bombadil and hmm. my dad would ask me like, oh, how are you doing with that book? Because he's the one that wanted me to read it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this book blows, but I really like Tom Bombadil. So we'd like talk about Tom Bombadil. And I remember being really disappointed when I was watching the movie for the first time because I was all set for Tom Bombadil and then he just never shows up. And then it yeah. was like half, like we were already at Rivendell and I was like, wait, Tom Bombadil never showed up. 
And I remember one of my friends also, like our we were su- like we were like super into Tom Bombadil yeah. for some reason. She's awesome. <laughs> and we would we were like Tom Bombadil fangirls. <laughs> High school was a weird time for me. <laughs> I admit, he's a jolly man with a feather in his cap. Yeah. But like I don't know. And it's really I, I do understand from a, an adaptation perspective that a lot of things need to be left on the cutting room floor, especially with this. Yeah. Because it's just it's a complete non sequitur. Yeah. And in the in the same way that Tom Bombadil is left out of this, I don't understand why they even like why they would even actually bother with uh, Bayorn in the Hobbit trilogy. Because the Hobbit trilogy shouldn't have been a trilogy. Right. They needed filler. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's true. But at the same time, it's like you were going to adapt that book and you needed to cut like a section that's relatively long and doesn't add a whole lot. Yeah. Where are you going to look? Bayorn doesn't really matter much to the narrative of that story. I was like, Ghostbusters? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like Bayorn doesn't really add much to The Hobbit in the same sort of way that Bombadil doesn't add as much to like the overall narrative yeah. of Lord of the Rings. But the Hobbit it's is a rest so, point. The Hobbit is so short anyway. Yeah. But, I mean, short books can breed large adaptations. I mean, a lot goes on in The Hobbit. Even without making it a trilogy. Not enough for three movies. Not enough for three movies. Arguably two. I think it would have been comfortable at two. Yeah. Not as much padding. Yeah. You get rid of all the Silmarillion backstory stuff. Yeah. That was just thrown in. Oh, boy. Someday we'll get there. Yeah, eventually. So, like... I love Tom Bombadil too. Tom Bombadil's the best. <laughs> I I wish that he would have been in this movie. I remember when I saw Fellowship of the Ring for the first time, I was just like, where's my Tom Bombadil? Mm. I am upset. Where yeah. is he? I think I think part of the reason I would be interested in talking to somebody who um hasn't well, I mean, Scott hasn't read the books. Yeah. That's true. We'll have to have we'll we'll definitely have Scott um as a guest again. Um, he needs to he needs to read through uh, all the way up to where Bombadil is and a little bit beyond, and then what is at, this? <laughs> and get his perspective on Bombadil. <laughs> but I think part of the reason why I am interested to talk to more people that have that experience, yeah, is because at least for the first time I saw it, I latched on to the fact that Tom Bombadil was not in the movie, and yeah. that kind of tainted the movie for me. I think uh, I think that happened with a lot of people. Yeah. Peter Peter Jackson mentions in the comment either in the commentaries or like one of the featurettes that he received more complaints and more more guff about Tom Bombadil not being in these movies than anything else. Yeah, because because he is so interesting and so beloved and such a weird. He's, it stands out because it's such a it's such it yeah. has nothing to do with the story, so you remember it yeah. more. And. I don't know. And I think there's there's just a charm to, in a fantasy story, coming across something like that, that de- pretty much defies all expectations mm-hmm. and then is helpful and just never really matters again. There's some amount of charm to like that happening in a story. Well, it's interesting, too, because you set all of these rules for your world and then you have a character that breaks literally every single one of them and then yeah. he's never mentioned again. One of only two characters in the book that's not tempted by the ring. Who's the other one? Faramir. Faramir. In the oh. book, Faramir is uncorruptible. My best bro, Faramir. We'll talk about him in a long time from now. <laughs> yes. But like in the in the books, Faramir is 
uncorruptible. He, the, the ring can't tempt him. Yeah, because he's... He because the ring can't give him the only thing he wants. His father's love. Oh. Oh. I love Faramir. <laughs> like, that, that's why the ring can't corrupt Faramir. It yeah. can't tempt him. There's nothing it can offer him. It can't make Denethor love him. Now I'm so sad. Oh. That's my trope. Yeah. Like, unrequited parental love. That's why you like Loki. That's Yeah, that's exactly why. <laughs> <laughs> Don't call me out on my own show. <laughs> um, I think that about wraps it up, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I could, I could ramble on about Bombadil a little more, because there's a couple other interesting theories about him. We'll talk about him again when we get to... Yeah, because he comes up in the book in the Council of Elrond, yeah. so we'll, we'll talk about him again. We'll talk about him again. Um, we're thinking about um, starting up a weekend edition uh, for Patreon yeah. at the beginning of this upcoming year, so I'm sure we'll talk at length more about Tom Bombadil. Yes. I could I could go into more details about some stuff. There, there's just a lot of... There's a lot of stuff. There's a, for a, a lack of explanation, there is a lot going on with the Bombadil. Yeah, the Bombadil. The Bombadil. <laughs> One might say he is the bomb. Oh, my God. Anyway. You can find us online at DuelingGenre.com. Email us, contact at LordOfTheRingsMinute.com. Twitter at L-O-T-R Minute. Tumblr, L-O-T-R Minute.tumblr.com. You can find us on Facebook, where we have a page and a listening group. You should leave us a five-star review on iTunes, uh, whether or not you love Tom Bombadil. You can listen to <laughs> Scott, Nick, and Cassandra on The Doctor's Companion on our website at Dueling Genre, as well as Scott and Nick on Back to the Future Minute. The three of them work on Geek by Night, a fictional audio drama about nerds who run a comic book shop and get superpowers. The newest member of the Dueling Genre family, who is now in the end of their third week, yep. is Harry Potter Minute. If you have a little bit of money to lend us your support and are into that sort of thing. You can give us uh, some support on Patreon at duelinggenre.com slash support. We also have a one-time donation button. And as of today, I've gotten the go-ahead for at least one design for a t-shirt. Yeah. but we So still, we're still working on getting it together. Yeah, we need to put them up on the site. But definitely before Christmas in the next few weeks. Yes. Just in time. Just in time. So uh, hopefully... You'll be able to get a Lord of the Rings Minute shirt for Christmas. Will you buy me a Lord of the Rings Minute shirt for Christmas? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'll wear can... my face on a shirt. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> Unironically. No, that's the most douchey thing. <laughs> right. Just just wear your face on a t-shirt. But it's not like like it's not like Steve O from Jackass's tattoo. Oh my god. Anyway. That's that's a different level. <laughs> and as always, a special thanks to our Patreon associate producer, Leaper182. Have a good Friday. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye.